You know, when Matthew and Justin were up here quoting that passage from the scripture, I was reminded of uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Uh, of course, when Charlie Brown brings in this terrible-looking little tree and all the kids start mocking him and he freaks out and says, what's the true meaning of Christmas anyways? And uh, little Linus goes out right in the middle of the stage and he quotes the exact same thing that those guys did. And uh, he talks about the real meaning of Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's just bow our heads and ask God to bless this time as we open up the Word this morning. Father, we come before you today and we just thank you for the story of the angels coming to that town of Bethlehem and proclaiming the Messiah is born, Christ the Lord. And uh, Father, we just ask that you would help us to understand this once again freshly and that you would put it on our hearts to do what the angels did. And so, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit that I might speak your word in power and in truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, yesterday I was, uh, I was telling the story of, of the birth of Christ to the kids. And um, what I noticed when I was telling the Christmas story, I noticed that there are a lot of angels involved in this story. Like the, the story's filled with angels. First you have Zachariah, he's in the temple and, and he's going into, he's a, he's a priest and he's going in to bring incense to burn on the altar. And all of a sudden as he's walking towards the altar of incense, he's like, whoa! There's an angel just standing there right beside the altar. And then, of course, we know about Mary. You know, she's just minding her own business and maybe thinking about this, her fiancé, Joseph, and wondering how wonderful he is. And all of a sudden, boom, there's an angel in front of her and uh, greeting her. Thou most favored, uh, uh, the Lord's blessing is on you. And she's like, whoa, what's that supposed to mean? And, uh, and then, of course, there's Joseph. Joseph gets three angel encounters. He doesn't get a lot of credit for these. But, you know, everyone else is like, whoa, whoa, ah. And Joseph's just like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. You know, the angel comes and says, you should take Mary as your wife. He goes, okay, I'll do that. He takes her as his wife. And then the angel comes and says, well, you should uh, flee to Egypt because your son's in danger. Oh, okay. He, off he goes. And when he's in Egypt, you know, the angel comes to him and says, well, you should go back to Israel. Okay. <laughs> It's pretty impressive, you know? Everyone else is freaking out when the angel comes, but Joseph, he just goes about, does whatever the angel tells him to do. And then, of course, we come to this passage where the angels come, well, one angel, first of all, comes and speaks to the shepherds. And, um, you know, uh, these six appearances, one of them, of course, was a big group of angels. It has caused all the songwriters to go crazy. They love these angels, you know? So we got all these songs like Angels from the Realms of Glory, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, Angels We Have Heard on High, The First Noels, The Angels Did Sing, While Shepherds Watched Their Flocks, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and on and on it goes. We have all these hymns about the angels. What's so exciting about angels? Well, they are messengers from God. They take the messages that God... i got to close these things before I have a fall into the hole. <laughs> there goes the pastor, you know. <laughs> Break my leg. Uh, but anyways, uh, um, these angels, they, they are in the very presence of God, and they take the messages from God, and they, they're sent 
on these uh, journeys to go and talk to people. And so these ones, when, when Jesus is born, it's, it's almost like there's one angel that was sent, but the whole gaggle went behind him and, and declared the message to the, the shepherds. And um, Strong's Concordance defines what an angel is. And it defines it this way, a messenger, an envoy, one who is sent, an angel or a messenger from God. So the whole idea of the word angel is that it's, it's like, a, like a sent one, one who goes out with a message and he delivers the message. Um, and so this morning we're going to start with focusing on the announcement uh, of the angels that brought great news of great joy. Um, it's interesting, when the angel of the Lord appeared, it says that there was a, a bright light, the glory of the Lord shone all around. Can you think of any other time when the glory of the Lord shone all around in the New Testament? There's one other place, actually. Same words. Uh, no, that's not it. No. <laughs> not these words. I mean, these things. Did I, let, let me just tell you. It was, it was Paul on the way to Damascus. And the glory of God came and shone. And it's the same word that's being used. Uh, shone around. Um, and then it says that they brought this good news. The word in the Greek is uh, evangelize. Uh, evangelio. Evangelizo. <laughs> Got to get my, I'm a little rusty on my Greek. Um, and it, of course it means to evangelize. And, but in the New Testament translates it like this. I bring you good news. That's another, the good news, we, the Greek for that is, is um, evangelio, but it's also um, the gospel, the good news. That's the, oh, sorry, that's Old English, not Greek. What am I talking about? <laughs> the, the gospel is the good news. It's glad tidings. And it's interesting, though, that it's, it translates that one word, not good news, but I bring good news. And that's the interesting thing about it is that the, to evangelize is to actually, not just to have the good news, but to dis disseminate the good news, to actually tell people about the good news. And so the first evangelist in the Bible is not, uh, or in the New Testament, is, is not John the Baptist. The first evangelist in the Bible are the angels, and particularly this event where they are proclaiming the good news, the good news of great joy. And so you might say, well, um, you know, there's a lot of people today, they kind of go like, okay, so Jesus was born, baby was born, what's all the hubbub all about, you know, like, and they're giving gifts and they're doing all this Christmas stuff, but they're not particularly excited that there was a Savior born in Bethlehem that week. They're more excited about the, you know, the, the, the Game Boy or whatever they might be getting underneath the Christmas tree or whatever presents there might be. So what's so great about this good news? What's the good news? And I think I need to remind people, and we need to remind people in our world today, that a lot of times if you don't understand the wretched state of mankind, you will never understand the Christmas message as good news. Because if you don't understand that God's judgment and wrath is on the world because of sin, and that God has prepared a horrible place for the devil and his demons, and he will send everyone to that place who doesn't believe. If you don't understand God's horror and, and abject wrath upon sin, 
you will never understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think our society today is very much like the Laodicean church, which Jesus said these words to. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. Doesn't that sound like people today? Doesn't that sound like your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends? Oh, yeah, we're, we're doing all right. You ask them, how are you? Oh, we're fine. What are you doing for Christmas? Oh, we're going skiing up in Colorado. We're great. But Jesus goes on, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, it's those who realize that they can't please God. I believe that every person needs to come to that place where they finally realize that they're a wretch. I remember the day I, I realized I was a wretch. I was a mess. And that I couldn't control my, my feelings, my thoughts, my, my actions. And I was just devastated by how terrible a person I was. And I think until we come to that recognition, we won't really understand the good news of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. You know, um, there are people who do recognize how wretched they are. They are, And I find it very fascinating that when, when Matthew writes about who was in the genealogy of Christ, he included all the wretched people he could find in the genealogy. And I think it's like a, a preemptive strike that, you know what, there's a lot of wretched people out there, even the ones who, ancest, who were ancestors of Jesus. I mean, just think about it. There's this guy, Judah. Remember him? He's the one that led his brothers to uh, sell Joseph, their brother, into slavery. Uh, and, and if you read the scriptures about Judah, he was conniving, promiscuous. I mean, he was not a godly man. And then, then there's Tamar. I mean, she was a Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah who, because of Judah's negligence, took desperate measures into her own hands. And she was prostituting herself on the side of the road until Judah came along, and then they had children uh, by him. They were keeping Judah's line alive through prostitution of his daughter-in-law to keep the line alive and that's where Jesus comes from. Then, then there's Rahab. Now, Rahab was just out and out a prostitute, Canaanite woman, and uh, she helped the spies, and she's in the genealogy of Christ. And then there's Ruth, a Moabite widow. And you remember who the Moabites are? Moabites are the descendants of Lot through his uh, incestuous relationship with his daughter. Oh, okay. Uh, then there's King David. I mean, he murders someone who, just to cover over his own iniquity that he had uh, relations with Bathsheba. And, of course, his son is in the genealogy. He's the illegitimate child of David and, and Bathsheba. <laughs> so the list goes on. Then there's Jeconiah. He's in the list. Jeconiah, of course, is the one of the last wicked king of Judah who was sent off into Babylon and into exile. So you have all these wicked people. They, I mean... It's unbelievable. They're swindlers, usurpers, harlots, daughters of incest, adulterers, exiles, prisoners, casualties of sin, death, one and all. These are the people that Jesus calls his ancestors. I think these people epitomize 
the people who received the news of Jesus' birth with joy. Because they're the ones recognizing their, their horror state before God who can find cleansing and wholeness in the Christ child. You know, it's been said that good news is good news only to those who know they're in a bad way. You know, yesterday I was, I was talking with uh, Chris, and he was sharing with me how exciting, he had some really exciting news. And I'm like, well, what's the exciting news, you know? And he's like, look at this. And he showed me a pamphlet. He said, look at that. Uh, the community uh, paratranspo people no longer have to give an uh, upgrade in order to get para or something like this. I, I didn't even quite understand it. Basically, he has to spend money all the time to, uh, to get paratranspo instead of taking the bus. Um, his his pair, his paratransfer was theoretically paid for, but when he's just doing community things, not going to his hospital appointments, then he has to pay an upgrade fare. And they're canceling that on January 1st. And so he's all excited about this. And I'm like, and I'm excited for him. But am I excited about the fact that community... Uh, Ticket holders don't have to have an upgrade payment. Well, not really. It doesn't really affect me that much, right? But uh, but Gail came over, and he shared that with Gail, and that does affect her, and she got excited about it. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm in the wrong crowd here, you know. Like this is not exciting news for me, but for them, it's very exciting. And so I'm telling you, the good news uh, uh, on Christmas Day is exciting for those who recognize that sin has attacked their life. But for other people who think that they're, them and God are fine, they don't even know that it's good news. They don't really understand the whole Christmas message. So you know what, people? We have our work cut out for us because we have the job of the angels, not only to announce the good news, but we need to tell people why it's good news and how bad a shape they're in and then give them the good news. Um, one of the things I noticed about the the angels is, is uh, that they always kind of had, except for Joseph, all three other times, the reaction of the people who saw them was the same. I mean, these angels terrified people. <laughs> you know? um, Zachariah, he was startled and gripped with fear, it says. Mary, she, it says, she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the shepherds. They said, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Well, I, I looked up the, the Greek words for this word terrified, and I found that it's, it's actually, uh, it's um, fear. It, it's actually the word fear used twice. It says they feared a great fear. <laughs> it's kind of like a double whammy of fear that these guys were having. So the New Testament or the NIV translated terrified. Uh, I think it's pretty accurate. They were terrified. They feared a great fear. Um, and, in, and in each case, with each of these persons, the angels' first words to them were exactly the same. Do not fear. So the first thing the angel says, oh, hey, chill. <laughs> It's all good. Don't be afraid, you know, um, because they didn't come to strike fear into these people. They came to bring good news and joy. And you know what, people, when we share the gospel, when we as messengers 
share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first thing we need to do is strike fear into the hearts of people. Because they need to be afraid of the consequences of their own sin. They need to realize that without Christ, they can't have a relationship with God. God won't take them into his kingdom. And so we need to recognize that fear is, it can be a good thing. Uh, it helps people to, to obey what's, what's been told. Now, the next thing I want to point out about um, this message that the angels brought was that it was for all the people, it says. Um, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Um, and so this is... This is not um, universalism. It's not that, that the, good news, the good news is for everyone, but not everyone will be saved. It was never God's plan, actually, that everyone would be saved. It's God's will. It's God's desire that everyone be saved. But that's not going to happen according to the Bible. Um, there are people who won't accept. They won't believe. And they are not saved. But what, what the Bible is saying about this uh, for all people means that God shows no partiality. God loves all the people on the earth. He says, so, saves females as well as males, poor as well as rich, powerless as well as powerful. He saves non-Jews. He saves Jews. He saves Turks, Iraqis, Palestinians. He says, saves Israelis. He saves Native Americans. He saves uh, all kinds of people. Uh, um, South American Indians, Africans, Europeans, young, old, everybody. Everybody is welcome into the kingdom of God. In other words, the angel's saying that God is impartial. And this is good news for everybody who recognizes their need of a Savior. How do you respond to God's impartiality? You know, it's interesting. Uh, there's an Old Testament character. He hated a bunch of people. Jonah hated the Ninevites because they had, would attack Israel and do all kinds of horrible things. And I think right now, uh, there's lots of people in Israel and in Syria and in, in all, that whole area, they have a deep hate for Ninevites and, and other Syrians who are killing each other in that whole area. And Jonah was like, oh, I just wish God would destroy them all. But God said, shouldn't I care for these people who don't know the right hand from the left? So even people who are doing wicked, horrible things, God still cares about them because they don't know how wicked and horrible their things they are doing. Jonah was so upset by God saving these people, they said, oh Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> he was pretty stuck in his hatred. And God, however, doesn't hate, don't, doesn't hate people. He loves them. He hates the sin, and he will condemn people to, to a Christless eternity if they don't repent. But he, he wants them to repent. And so he sent his angels to announce to the shepherds this great news. Um, so it's very interesting when the angels came to the shepherds that the message they brought, the evangel evangelios, ozo, uh, anyways, the evangelism that they brought included a whole vast array of things. Just in two short verses, they give the message of the gospel. 
Listen to what, what it says in, in verses 10 and 11. Uh, they, in fact, they include all, you know, the five W's, you know, what, where, when, why, and all those. Well, they include all of that in their message in two, two short verses. The what? The great joy, they announced. The who? Well, it's for all people. The when? Well, it's going to happen today. Uh, where is it located? Well, it's in the, in the town of Bethlehem. Why? Well, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior is someone who saves and rescues. Uh, he is the Christ. And even the how is mentioned. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And I, I'd like us to notice some of the titles that the angels and others writing about the Messiah gave to, to this little baby. First of all, in this verse it says... Uh, today in the town of David, a Savior. Notice they've capitalized the word Savior. Um, in fact, he is going to save his people from their sins. Bond- We're all strapped in bondage to sin. And the reason Jesus came was to become a Savior, to release us from the bondage to sin. In uh, Matthew, we find out that the angel told Mary to name the child Jesus. Jesus is a form of the word Joshua. Joshua means Savior. That's exactly what it means. So uh, even, even the name Jesus, when you say Jesus, you're basically saying Savior. Um, and so he came to deliver his people from their sins. <clears throat> he is the Messiah. Um, in Greek, it says he is the Christ. Uh, that means he's the anointed one. The, the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come, the anointed one. It just means that God would be on him in a powerful way. That's what it meant. And so they were waiting for this anointed one to come. He was going to be anointed king and prophet and priest. And that's who he was. And then notice that it says, the Lord. Well, that's a loaded word. That means that God was coming. And it's interesting that Isaiah says that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the titles of deity. These are not titles for a person. And so Jesus came as the Lord. And the angels announced all that right up front. They just said he's going to be Savior. He's going to be the Anointed One. And he's going to be the Lord. Uh, Awesome message. This is the great news that we have for all people. Well, then the angels go on, and in verse 14, we pick them up, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, on whom his favor rests. Um, the, the truth of Christ's birth was celebrated by the angels, and they start glorifying God. Uh, you see, um, the angels tell us the, that God, that Jesus was God, they, they say he's the Lord, and the Bible tells us that all the perfections of God dwell in Jesus Christ bodily. It was amazing. In other words, Jesus is the beauty of the Lord. That's what Psalm uh, 27 verse 4 says. God's beauty became incarnate. Um, it's, it's a word we don't often use for Jesus, that, that he's beautiful. Uh, and yet it's this idea that the utter delight of God is found in Jesus Christ. There's a profound desirability to God. He's very desirable. And when he comes and when he enters into a person's life, he brings joy and beauty into our lives. Glory to God in the highest, indeed. And then it goes on. And then they say, and peace 
and on earth peace to, on those whom his favor rests. Um, you know, it's interesting. The year 2001 was supposed to be this great celebration of peace. Does anyone know why? It was 100 years since something happened. 100 years of the Nobel Peace Prizes being passed out in 2001. You see, um, there was a, uh, Alfred Nobel was a wealthy industrialist. He's most well known for creating dynamite. Not sure how that works with peace. But anyways, um, and he had more than 350 patents and he became very wealthy, extremely wealthy. And at his death in 1895, uh, he, as a bachelor, he had this huge fortune and he left it. Um, and he put it into a foundation to recognize those people who were dedicated to uh, um, excellence in science, medication, literature, and peace efforts. And so the, particularly the peace efforts are, there's a large amount of money, it's, it's equivalent to about a million dollars, is given to people who do the best or, or the greatest amount of uh, peace work in the world. And um, it's interesting, however, that since two, 1901, that, in that hundred years, there's been 250 wars during that time that was supposed to usher in peace. Uh, more than 110 million people, including 63 million civilians, were slaughtered in the, in the 20th century due to war. The International Institute for Strategic Studies in London uh, quotes, and uh, the director of the Nobel Institute said, if the criterion for success is the Nobel Peace Prize's ability to put an end to war, then the prize is certainly a failure, and it will remain a failure. The 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of mankind, and the new century doesn't appear to be getting any better. And of course, the year 2001 is a reminder of this happening. Next slide. Nice way to mark the anniversary, the 100th anniversary of the Nobel Peace Prize being passed out when almost 3,000 people, innocent civilians, are murdered. World peace, personal peace, relational peace are precarious and they're hanging on a thread. But God's peace is different. See, Jesus didn't come to bring these kinds of peace, world peace, relational peace. He came to bring God's peace to God's people, a rest in the heart of mankind. The word goodwill, uh, that's the King James Version, is ekuduka. And the, the Greek test is a combination of you, which, from which we get eulogy, and what does it mean to eulogize someone? To say good things about them, right? So that's where that comes from. And doka is the word thinking. And so what, this, what the angels are saying was coming to mankind was good thinking, restful thoughts, peaceful, peace of mind, and just a sense of being a well-being. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ, that God's gift is the gift of peace 
from our minds so that our minds would not be tormented by the evil that we've done that keeps us from God and that there would be a peace between mankind and God because, excuse me, because Jesus came and died, the Prince of Peace has come. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus gives a peace that is not understandable. You know, I've gone through difficult things in my life, and I've had big decisions to make. And what I've noticed is that God keeps coming in peace and just speaks peace to my heart whenever difficult things happen. And I just kind of go like, wow, I don't know how you do that all the time. But I believe it's the peace of the peacemaker, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, has come into my life and just given me no stress. Um, People often say, you know, oh, I can't figure out what to do about this. It's all stressing me out. And I'm just like, well, just relax, chill. God's going to look after it. Uh, Sometimes people say, well, I don't know what God wants, wants me to do in my life. I'm worried about not getting it right and not doing God's will. And I'm like, well, you know, God's got a plan for your life. He's the ruler of the universe. I think he can make it known what he wants you to do. Relax, chill. He's the God of peace. And, you know, I have this, my life verse is, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So, man, when it comes to making tough decisions, I ain't leaning on my own understanding. Forget that. I'll just trust in God. I'll pray about it. I'll acknowledge him in all my ways. And then, well, God's going to do the leading. He'll figure it out. And I just relax, and, and God figures it out every time. And it's, it's awesome. It's fun to live that way. It's just so relaxing and peaceful. Um, you see, Jesus came to reconcile us to God so that we can have a relationship with God so we don't need to worry about the future. We don't need to worry about even the, the issues of the day. Uh, God looks after these things. It's awesome what the Bible says about God's relationship to those who have Jesus Christ in their life. The Bible says, who can bring any charge against God's elect? You know, even when you sin, even if you do something evil, there still can't be a charge made against you because you've been elected by God to experience the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing. It's not to be abused. Certainly, we need to live in a relationship with God where we uh, express our love towards him by being obedient. But there's never going to be any fear that we will be condemned by what we do. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. Ah, reconciliation. The Bible says, Therefore you have been justified by faith. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him you have access to faith into this grace which you, in which you now stand. That's Romans 5. Therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and find the grace in the time of need. <clears throat> this is the awesome message that, the, that these wonderful messengers from heaven came to give to the shepherds that day. It was a message of peace, 
a message of a savior, a message of reconciliation with God. But you know what? It's interesting how the, the shepherds responded. Immediately they believed, well, who wouldn't believe if the whole sky had been filled with angels telling you about, about something? <laughs> You'd believe. And so immediately they believed, but then they went. And it says in verse 15, When the angel had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Joseph, Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, I loved that. They experienced Jesus Christ for themselves. And you know what? They, once they've experienced Jesus Christ for themselves, they went out and told everybody. It says, uh, and they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. In other words, they spread the word that this child is the Savior, that this child is the Lord, that this child is the Messiah, the anointed one. And they spread that around to everyone, and they were very excited about it. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's an awesome responsibility to be a shepherd. You guys are all shepherds. You guys are all evangelists now. We pick up where the angels left off, where the angels brought the good news, the evangelism. We pick up the same thing. We become the messengers of God. And we have this awesome message to tell people that not just that a, that a baby's born, but that there's a Savior that will save us from our sins. Not just that there's a baby born, but that there's an anointed baby born, one who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just that there's a baby born, but that there's the Lord has come to earth to take away our sins. It's an awesome thing. One of the inescapable words is the telling that goes on uh, in this passage. The angels told the shepherds, the shepherds told others what they had been told. The word is repeated three times. And so we need to do the same thing. We are the evangelists, and we need to tell others uh, what we have heard and seen and what, how we have experienced Christ. Because I, I believe, you know, we're going through baptism classes right now, and what I've told the baptism members is that uh, we need to always be ready to give a, an account of, uh, of the good news, the hope that we have within us. And I said, one of the best ways we can do that is share our testimonies of how we came to know Christ and how Christ changed our life. And that's what the the shepherds did. Once they met Jesus Christ, then they shared with everyone about what they had seen, what they had heard. And so it is with us. Once we meet Jesus Christ, once we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then Christ says, now go out and tell everybody. Go tell it on the mountain. And... uh, I want you to notice the word evangelism. Pretty cool word. What do you see in the middle of that word? Angel. Yeah. Eva- angel. Oh, I won't try to pronounce that. But anyways, angels. And when we are evangelists, we are like angels. We become messengers to bring the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And so I want to tell you something. We've been studying um, the truth of the message of Jesus Christ, that he lived and died, right? Since September, I've been sharing all these messages about the truth of Jesus Christ. Then last week, 
I shared about the fact that he is coming back to earth in judgment to judge the wicked. And it will be a terrifying thing. And I believe that we are on a mission to save wicked people from the wrath that is coming. And uh, we, we are like John the Baptist. We are like the angels. We have a message to tell the world. And I believe there is an urgency to tell this, this message. And it reminds me of a movie I saw many years ago. And I'm going to show you a little clip from that movie. But the movie is about uh, two young men who were runners. They were very athletic. And um, don't, don't start it yet. These, these guys were very athletic, and, and uh, they would race one another. They're from Australia. And they ended up in, uh, in the army in the First World War. And they ended up in Turkey. And they, because they both could run fast, they ended up being messenger service, a messenger service between the command posts. And, and this is World War I, so radios were very malfunctioning all the time, not very good. And so they used message runners to get the message back and forth. And there's this horrible scene in the movie because this is trench warfare, World War I. And there's this horrible scenes where, where the captain tells all of the men, we're going to go in with bayonets this time. And so we're going to go up over the top and we're going to kill with our bayonets. Well, they're going up over the top of this, this trench and the Turks, because they're in Turkey, they have machine guns. Machine guns against bayonets? Guess what wins? And there's this horrible scene where a whole wave of men are just mowed down. They get like 15 yards, the fastest one. And they get nowhere near the enemy, nowhere near the chance to use their bayonets. And Mel Gibson plays the runner. And he is sent to send the message back to his corporal, or I don't know, his leader, that they have to do another wave. And what's happened is there's been this big bombardment of the enemy, but then there was a, a miss mismatched in time and the enemy got re-prepared after the bombardment and they were still being told to go again and so the commander is just like i i don't want to send these people up to their deaths it's just suicide it's insane and all these young men are just going to go die out there and he doesn't want to do it and finally uh the person mel gibson is playing says well, why don't you go over his head and ask this other guy and so he does. He sends Mel Gibson to run and try to, to get a command to stop this insanity. And that's what I want you to see. Can we have more flags? Marker flags? Who told you there were marker flags? I heard someone say they'd seen one, sir. Who? Who? I'm not sure, sir. Gray, you bloody idiot. Nobody got further than 10 yards. Why don't you go above Robinson's head, sir? General Gardner, go
does sound pointless to go on. On the other hand... Excuse me, sir. British are ashore at Suvla. Are they meeting heavy opposition? None, sir. Apparently they've called a halt and the officers are sitting on the beach drinking cups of tea. Tell Major Barton the attack is... No, just tell him that I'm reconsidering the whole situation. Sir. The reason I showed you this is because this is how people react when lives are at stake. When their friends are about to be slaughtered for no reason at all, you run like a madman to get them the news. And so he runs like a madman to bring this news that the, the general is saying, okay, we're reconsidering, we'll just wait, don't go yet. But the tragic thing about this movie and the way it ends is that he doesn't get there on time. And the men are sent up over the trench anyway to their deaths. And his best friend, the other runner, is mowed down in the end of the movie. And the whole tension of the movie is a very tense movie. You've got to see the whole thing. But it reminds me of our, our role. Are we going to get to our friends and neighbors and our loved ones and our, our communities in time before they are lost forever to hell? That is our role. That's our message. I know it's not a very comfortable message to hear this close to, East, to Christmas. But we have the good news we have salvation. We have the message of salvation. Are we not going to run like crazy? You know, you know, our feet are shod with the good news of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that we have the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we can get this news out there. People will listen to us because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we not run like someone who's trying to save his platoon from death? Can we not run that race? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this great news, the good news of salvation. We ask, Lord, that you would fit our feet with the good news shoes of the gospel. Lord, that we would run in such a way that our lives would not run in vain. But, Lord, that we would bring into your kingdom many sheaves of, of those who've been converted, bringing many with us into the kingdom of God. And so, Father, we pray that we would not be lax, that we would not just say, oh, well, we'll wait till another day or another time. But, Lord, help us to be urgent about bringing the message, the good news of Jesus Christ to people. For, Lord, people are dying without you. And, Lord, we, we know that these are people you love and long for. They're your children. And it's not your will that any should perish. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to make it our will that none should perish. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.